2007, the EU celebrated a 50th anniversary of uh, its constitution and founding. And in this time, in their celebration, they did not choose to mention God or Christianity as the foundation of Western culture. They, they chose to exclude it. Now, some of the U European Union leaders uh, did not like this. They, they disagreed. But most chose to exclude any sort of explicit reference to God and Christianity. And in response to this, Pope Benedict uh, actually wrote something and said that this was, in his words, a grave apostasy, that how could they, how could Europe reject God and reject Christianity, the very thing that is responsible and gave birth to this culture? Now, in a sense, we can agree that this is sort of uniquely stupid on part of Europe, because, mm -hmm. you know, America is not a Catholic country, but Europe is. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Europe is a, mm -hmm. a, a Catholic continent, mm -hmm. for sure. And there is no doubt that Christianity gave birth to this. In a separate writing, Pope Benedict mentioned that how can a tree and its branches survive if its roots have withered? If you see a dead tree, you don't look at the branches to examine whether or not it's alive. You look at its roots. And what's interesting about that is that there was a recent podcast with uh, Jordan Peterson, Jonathan Peugeot, and Douglas Murray. And Douglas Murray in this podcast said the same thing. His main question is, can a branch remain alive if the roots are not nurtured? This is a podcast that the three of us have listened to and sparked a lot of different thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to take probably this podcast and another one to really go into and pick apart uh, a lot of what they said because yeah. a lot of what they, they brought up are perennial issues, are really core issues facing our modern society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that um, that quote from Douglas Murray, I have it here. He, he said, once you accept that the Christian tradition gave our society the things we cherish, the question is, can that society and the things they cherish sustain itself without reference to the thing that gave them birth? And then he uses like the tree analogy. But it is the same thing that Benedict is saying. Um, if, you, if you're not tending to those roots, the whole tree goes it's it's just it's a really powerful image but it's also like extremely true right um and i i do wonder at what point there's going to be kind of a wake up of being like we have to we have to return to this right because what they were celebrating was this i think a, a constitution that they wrote up the, you know, the european union and in it um, they examine and enumerate different rights that humans have but ultimately they're all inherent and natural rights at the very end. And it's, you have to wonder, okay, so the fundamental question is, where did these come from? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did they come from the European Union? Right. Because of, did they be, you know, do you have rights because of the, the Constitution and, and the EU? Or do you have inherent rights? Yeah. This is why it's so important to understand uh, or to articulate your philosophy of life. Uh, because I think so many people um, might may never formally study philosophy. Uh, you know, they, it might seem like a uh, a liberal arts pastime <laughs> to study it. But then, like when you actually when it actually comes to embodying a uh, worldview, and you start assuming that, like, oh yeah, we you know I have rights, you have rights, you know, you you can list a bunch of rights. It's like, well, where does that come from? And if you don't recognize the source of your rights then 
I, I believe it's true that those rights will begin to fade. Uh, it's, right. it's you can't you can't. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I mean it's best put in that analogy of the branch will wither if the roots of the tree are are, are dead, and you know this is I think that in in this uh, mode of living out uh, your life, uh, adhering to rights and what you believe, there has to be a great recognition of where does this come from and. You know, it's it's kind of odd that you know these uh, great uh, political figures uh, of the of the EU would list these rights, but then be blind to the fact of where they come from. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, it can, it, uh, yeah, a branch can only survive so long, and and that's that's the fear I think of a lot of people right now, is uh, how long can we continue um, holding on to these rights as we're moving further and further away from the question of religion the question of god uh, so right right i mean that and that's actually pope benedict's that was his big issue with um this exclusion of god and christianity it wasn't so much that he felt slighted or how you know how could you offend me because i'm catholic or right exactly <laughs> right, like yeah. i'm the pope like what are you doing yeah you know, you, you know yeah he said this is offensive his main argument was if you if the roots of your civilization don't survive if the roots are christianity and god and you slowly exclude God from public life, what follows is the disappearance of human dignity. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's, his, that's, that's his fear. You know, along with the idea that, you know, Christianity is important, and, you know, God should be the center of all hearts, and, you know, all that for sure. Yeah. But also just, I don't think you realize if you lose God, you lose everything that's attached to God. Yes. Which is, you know, it's, it's sort of cliche, it's the same, but it's it's as you were saying earlier, Father, about um, understanding like the root of of in your philosophy that that grounds your thoughts and your yeah. rights. It, it's true, though. If you lose God, you lose mm -hmm. those rights. And, and Peterson has also made this claim. Instead of using a tree analogy, he used a uh, like a, a scaffolding or like a building, and he said, like you know, what is built. Uh, people think that living out their morality or living out their worldview. That they can uh, essentially, so they do this. Um, I think um, unconsciously, but they can take out the foundation of the building and have this floating structure living on top. But I like you know, it, right. same thing with the tree. Same thing with the uh, building with its foundation. Mm -hmm. We know naturally that you can't take out a foundation and have the structure that sits atop it thrive. You can't. Wasn't, wasn't Nietzsche who said like Christianity or religion in general was a type of scaffolding that like helped to build the building, but it's like, you know, the, like a scaffolding around a building. It's like all these frameworks and stuff where the, the workers climb up and build, but then you take that down once the building's established. Like that was his argument. Was that like, this is the structure mm -hmm. that built the structure, but now we can take this structure down. Yeah. Um, I know you certainly had the idea that uh, the Catholic, you know, the Catholic Christian um, philosophy and religion had so trained the human mind for truth seeking that mm -hmm. it ended up turning it on itself. Yeah, that mm -hmm. it, it disciplined the mind, and yes. then it got to a certain point where then it started, uh, it turned back and questioned its own foundations. That's really interesting, because it wanted to get back to the truth. Mm. Uh, but what it ended up doing was, I guess, undermining itself. Interesting. Yeah. Right, and and I remember studying that in philosophy, where um, Nietzsche had a deep respect for the way Christianity disciplined the mind, mm -hmm. uh, and but. 
I think, yeah, when you take that too far and, and it's, um, it's, uh, unbridled in a sense, uh, and, and you no longer have a tradition that's guiding your mind, um, you, you can fall into a kind of Cartesianism where you actually begin to question the, the very foundation of questioning <laughs> right. and then you can drive yourself in, you know, mad and into a corner and, you know, that, that could be the danger of, um, you know, overthinking, I suppose. <laughs> right. But 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 philosophy, I think, um, done well, is always guided by certain principles. You know, there's a, a certain wisdom tradition um, to follow. You know, we, we, we give um, credence to uh, people who have stood the test of time. You know, we look back to, you know, thinkers like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, um, then coming up through the Middle Ages, Augustine, um, you know, Aquinas, uh, Bonaventure, and, and we... Philosophy, like done well, is never um, just you sitting in a corner just thinking yourself to death, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's reading, it's learning from the tradition that came before it, right? Um, and right. so, you know, anyway. I, I've heard Nietzsche described as the philosopher who wants to get behind everything, like wants to get mm-hmm. behind the veil. So, mm-hmm. in yeah. his mind, you know, the medievals took God for granted that, yeah. that they, there were first principles that they didn't question, mm-hmm. and they just worked off of that. And so now Nietzsche's project is to get behind those first principles, get behind and get down to the bottom of everything. Right. And, and say, what, what, what actually yeah. is going on here? Right, right. And that's like the will to power and the whole mm-hmm. reevaluation of morals yep. is, you know, morality, Christian morality is actually just resentment kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Like he's trying to get, I guess yep. it's uh, something psychologizing. Yeah. Yeah. To get behind these. Things. But to your, you know, the, the original question about the, the tree and the branches and the roots. Uh, and if, Lee, you have mentioned this before, that Nietzsche, Nietzsche kind of uh, uh, adheres to that idea that if you are truly living out uh, an, uh, a life where you claim that there is no God, then you can't hold on to the morals that are attached to God either. Right. And, yeah. and so I think Nietzsche is getting, kind of getting at what Ratzinger was getting at in reverse, you know, in the, on mm-hmm. the opposite end, saying... Okay, let's like we God is dead, you know. We we've moved past God, um, and so now what's left uh, is to build your own morality up, right? Right. So, yeah, Douglas Murray has a um, a quote about that uh, from the podcast. I have a clip here I want to play uh, where he talks about um, ethics being self evident. The idea of rationalism being the sole way in which to discern ethics seems to me not to have been embedded very wide or very deep and may suggest that it's just not possible as a project. So, uh, to, to, to quote my late friend Rabbi Jonathan Sachs on this, the idea that, that ethics are self-evident is self-evidently wrong. So I think he's getting to that point of yeah. like, when they said these, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, it was like under the presumption that we're all like, believers, <laughs> you yeah. know, like mm-hmm. we're, we're a nation of right. a religion. Um, and once you pull that out, uh, it's not, there's no guarantee that that sustains. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, um, yeah. uh, first principles is what they were trying to get at mm. is that there's, you know, there's nothing else upon which these are built. Right. That this, right. That's yeah. the definition. Of yes. First principles. Yeah. Yeah. Just want to make sure. yeah. And what bugs me about modern atheism is that they live Again, Lee has made this point, but I think it bears repeating in, in the context of our conversation. They live their lives as if there, there is a God. 
but then they say, I don't believe in God. Yeah. And so their, their philosophy and their, their, the way that they live are, are contradictory. And it's, it's a contradiction that is so um, almost abhorrent, for lack of a better term, that uh, it, 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 anyone who studies that, as a, like a, 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 observes that as a case study, would say, well, atheism is, um, is bunk, essentially. Mm-hmm. And even the facts, even beyond morals, uh, you know, the atheist who says, uh, I should treat uh, everyone as, as I treat myself, you know, it's wrong to kill, mm-hmm. you know, making these um, metaphysical claims of good and bad, even aside from morality, as soon as an atheist tries to convince you of uh, uh, that, the, that there is no God, if, if they enter into a conversation, they are, ready presu- they are already presuming that there is a truth that transcends both of you, right? <laughs> right? right. That, that himself mm-hmm. and the person that he's talking to. Because he's like, no, the truth is that there is no God, and I believe that that truth should be communicated to you, right. and that you should believe that. Mm-hmm. Because wh- Why, though? If, if there's no transcendence, if there's no metaphysical reality, then why are, you, are, why are we even having a conversation to begin with, right? Yep. And, and I think that the answer could be something like, well, it would be better if a society... Uh, fun- like, it would be better for society to... Um, if we all just believe that there's no God and mm-hmm. we just work for our common good. It's like, but again, you're using these terms like good and yeah. better. Uh-huh. Where does that come from? Right. right. Where, where does, yeah. Almost conversation itself, I think is proof of a transcendence mm-hmm. because you're trying to get at something beyond, you know, you, 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 you find something that, that is illuminated, uh, illuminating to you. And that is worth sharing to someone else, um, and in that in that sharing, you're trying to reach something that's beyond both of you, yep. and, and so that itself speaks to something that's transcendent. So, I know that was a little bit off track where we were going, <laughs> off of, but <laughs> no, that was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the whole self-evident morality is that there's there's a lot there, um, particularly yeah. from um, Nietzsche, and, and even um, Catholic moral thought. Uh, you know, it's cliche when you know when someone says, "You know, I'm an atheist," and then you respond, "Tell me why murder's wrong." You know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's super cliche. But what's behind that is, on one hand, you don't have to acknowledge the existence of God to be moral. That's true. Mm-hmm. You don't have to believe in God to be moral, and I think that's the immediate rebuttal of atheists: is I'm still moral yep. without believing in God. However, what I think the Christian is trying to say is you can know principles of morality and secondary causes without knowing the first cause. Right. So scientists can study secondary causes. They can study the natural world without ever referencing the first cause of creation in general. Mm -hmm. Yep. So atheists are working off of these secondary principles. They're working off of um, secondary causes, Mm -hmm. but they're not referencing the first one, which is what... Christians are trying to get at. They're trying to say that the ultimate source, origin, and justification of why murder is wrong is God. Mm -hmm. Yep. In his, in rooted in his eternal Mm -hmm. nature. That's what they're saying. They're not saying, but I think that gets lost. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. It's, um, that's really interesting because that, that ties 
right to where I think Peugeot and Peterson come into this conversation because uh, you and I have read this book from uh, Victor White. He's a Dominican uh, priest, um, actually friends with Carl Jung, right? Yeah. Um, and Carl Jung wrote the foreword to this book, uh, God and the Unconscious. But um, in this book, he really kind of unpacks the whole like historical drama of psychology like the field of psychology, like from Freud to Jung, Adler, um, and just explaining what Jung's project is versus Freud. I mean, he really talks about, he's talking about um, this kind of first principles thing. Um, I have a quote from him uh, where he talks about psychology. He says, um, but then came psychology, ironically enough, psychotherapy, to drive the last nails in the coffin of divinity. The situation is considered to be that since the physical sciences have shown how illusory religious notions are, psychological science will show through what flaws in in the human mind the illusion is created and sustained. So it seems like um, psychology's project was to show that this is why Christians or religious people think that this is a first cause. And it was Freud to be like, "This this is a projection. This is your sexual impulse. This is why religions exist, and that that was that was the attempt to do away with that first cause. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's through that, ironically enough, this is what Victor White kind of alludes to that we're actually seeing things like Jung and archetypes and and patterns, and now with like uh, Peugeot and Verveke talking about cog size stuff, cognitive science, and even like your ability to perceive is preconditioned on a an, an ethic mm-hmm. um, and a telos. All of that is now being revealed through what we thought was going to be the last nail in the coffin of divinity, right. which is wild. Yeah. Right. Right. And it, it, Freud, that is part of Freud's project. And uh, um, oh shoot, what is it? Taboo. It's taboo in something. Mm. Um, and then beyond illusion, uh-huh. um, he, he he talks about this. You're right. Is like, well, these are just these are these are wish fulfillments, or that you're, you know your um, picture of God is based off your father. And this is, you know, this is where Jung and Freud really <laughs> split. Yep. Um, and taking, taking this off of Peterson's uh, read of Jung, which I think is pretty good. Um, he says that Jung is more of a response to Nietzsche than he is a disciple of Freud. Mm. That, and as I read Jung, I, I see that more and more because Although Jung and Freud use similar terminology, they use them in very different ways. Right. So Jung's project is actually to, sh- uh, in, in I guess maybe in a secondary way, um, refute uh, Freud, but it's also to refute um, Nietzsche's idea that you know the gods are a miscalculation of your intellect, a right. misattribution. You know that you had these powerful emotions in you, and you attributed them to the divine, but really it's you, it's mm-hmm. humanity. That's that's divine in and of itself. Mm. And Jung's point is there are things that have preconditioned your experience. Yeah. These a priori archetypes mm-hmm. that just seem to come from nowhere right. that you didn't create and that will long outlaw, you know, outlive mm-hmm. you. Yeah. That religion at the end is inevitable right. and not a creation of man, not an invention. Yeah. Not a conscious invention anyway. Yeah. And even the, the, the um, like preposition that, they that religion is like a neurosis like doesn't play out yeah like religious people are better mentally 
So yeah. like, why would, why would right. you classify that as something that neurotic when it's, when it, when people who would adhere to archetypal values do better in life? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that, that's what Jung found. And that's what Viktor Frankl mm-hmm. also found. He said that people would come to them, um, saying, you know, I, I have a nervous disorder. I have depression. I have all these, uh, psychotic issues. And he said, at the end of the day, it was a question of meaning in religion. And then, you know, Jung himself says, you know, of all my patients, you know, 90% of them were cured by a religious outlook yep. mm. on life. And that's what, didn't Peterson um, quote Jung saying, uh, you know, the most sane thing a person could be is Catholic. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. And so he, you know, it wasn't even Christian, it was Catholic specifically. Um, so... Yeah, there's um there's a clip I want to play for you guys on that topic um, about uh, Peugeot talking about perception of the glass. And I think it's related to this this cog size stuff. If you were a f- sorry, it's Peterson talking about the perception of the glass. Because if you were a photorealist painter, you could spend a month painting all the reflections on that glass. Yeah. It's a very complex thing to perceive, but you perceive it as a unity, and we know this neuropsychologically, we, we know this scientifically, you perceive it as a unity because you can grip it, and because you can raise it to your lips, and because you can drink it, and because you need to drink water to survive, and you are willing to drink water to survive because you believe emotionally and motivationally and perhaps rationally that survival is a good, and that's dependent on your belief that human existence in some sense is a good, and that it's striving towards some sort of higher unified order. And you might think, well, you don't need all that to perceive the glass. And the answer is, yeah, as a matter of fact, you need all of that to perceive the glass. And if you lose some of that because of various forms of cortical damage, let's say, you enter into the realm of all sorts of bizarre blindnesses. So again, he's talking merely psychologically, which is like a wild conclusion where he's going of like, you need to understand what a glass is for, which is inherently a telos in order to even perceive it. Yeah. Not to like to determine the ethical, whether it's a good glass or not. That's like where it gets into like the philosophical Mm -hmm. stuff, like what's its purpose, but even to see it, there's a, a subconscious um, recognition of what is it for yeah prior to seeing it which is which is wild yeah and i love that that chain of thought going all the way to you know well then you're supposing that human existence is a good just by perceiving a glass yeah. but it is you know all connected uh and yeah that idea of any action i mean and, and i'm extending this um beyond perception but any action that we uh we carry out we subconsciously think that that action is a good for me, right? And if you take that to its extreme, as Peterson did, then you are actually affirming the good over non-good. And so yep. there is even a there is even a foundational religious uh, thing <laughs> uh, undergirding uh, every action. Right, because why? Why else would you even like do anything if yes. it's not a good? Right, mm-hmm. um, you can't. Yeah, and this is. I mean, like this whole like our whole conversation right now is just circling on this uh, this axiom that uh, you can't escape the religious question. That's you yep. can't. Um, and no matter like no matter how um, staunchly atheist a person claims to be, uh, you can't. Like human nature is human nature. Right, you can't escape, and that and that's um I, I think like that idea of trying to escape the religious question or your own nature 
is something that the existentialists uh, really struggled with. And, and you, you know, we um, we've been recently reading uh, Flight from Women and and uh, Carl Stern's book, where he, uh, and specifically, I'm reminded of that chapter on Sartre, uh, where he uh, where he quotes Sartre as um, this. Uh, uh, he quotes Sartre's book Nausea, where he's uh, he can't escape existence and mm-hmm. everything that exists is uh, like pressing on him in this very uncomfortable way because again it, human nature y- you can't escape like that if you if you try to escape it you see it as a prison you see yourself right. as a prison you see the world as a prison and everything that exists is impeding on your um, your freedom right uh, to escape to try to escape that uh, that which you're trapped in but because you can't ultimately, uh, you know that that question is just you can't escape that question again. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the more atheistic branch of existentialist thought, part of the one of the core tenets is this rejection of human nature. I believe, mm. um, you know, when you're reading someone like Nietzsche again, it's it's very powerful because he has a a very take take the life take life by the horns and make it what you want. Right, and it's it's kind of exhilarating and fun to read sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then you're confronted with limitations and the idea that, but there are certain aspects of life that I can't make my own, that I can't, yeah. there, are, there are things that happen to me that I experience as meaningful regardless of any sort right. of conscious yeah. you you know, have articulation. A, you didn't have a will to power to see a beautiful sunset. You know, mm-hmm. Like you didn't like will right. that to be a beautiful thing to you. Right. It just, it, it, it enraptured you. Right. Exactly. There are certain, you know, um, the medievals would call them, you know, hum- uh, natural inclinations that flow from human nature. And Peterson actually mentioned them: um, preservation of life, uh, propagation of life, mm-hmm. um, you know, pursuing truth and such like that. And these are things that I, I just seem bound by. Yeah. And it seems like I do have a human nature that isn't malleable, right? I- yes. Infinitely malleable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, 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 that point made me uh, remember a quote from Tolkien's letter on fairy stories. And he talks about the Christian story as being inherently true. Uh, and he says, to accept it will lead to joy. And to reject it leads to wrath and ruin. Mm. And I think we can extend you know, that, the idea of the Christian story to existence itself. Like all things that are good. You know, if you're trying to embody this Nietzschean philosophy uh, by gra- you know, grabbing life by the horns and uh, you know, willing you know, using your own willpower to uh, create reality, then when you do encounter things that are beautiful or good and you have this natural reaction to rejoice uh, in the presence of it, if you're trying to, again, live like a Nietzschean or an atheistic lifestyle, then that's going to lead to your wrath because you are upset that you can't uh, reject it. You know, you're upset that you can't reject your own nature, as it were. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, on on the note of um, what you were saying, why do anything? Uh, Peterson actually does this with his students. Um, yeah, yeah runs them through an clip. experiment. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna play that clip for you guys because I thought it's pertinent. This. So, I used to ask my students, you know, why are you writing this essay? And so, and that's a variation of the question, why do anything? But let's make it concrete. 
Why are you writing this essay? Well, so that I can get a grade for the class. Why are you taking the class? So that I can finish my year at university. Why are you finishing your year at university and motivated to do that? To get my degree. Why do you want the degree? Well, then it gets fuzzier. Well, maybe I want a job, or maybe I want, an educated per want to be an educated person, or some amalgam of those. Why do you think it's a good reason to be an educated person or to have a productive career? Well, because I want to be a good person. Well, why do you want to be a good person? Well, because that's part of acting out, and this is where it starts to delve into the mythological, because being a good person makes society work properly and is the best route to, say, life more abundant. And so what does it mean to be a good person? And then it means something like, well, to orient yourself towards the highest good and to speak the truth. And then that's a whole hierarchy of value that is definitely governing either in an integrated manner or a disintegrated manner the actions of the person who's writing the essay. And you might say, well, how hard are you going to try when you write this essay? And the answer to that would be, well, it depends on how well integrated my view of the ethic is all the way up to the highest place. Really interesting thought experiment um, and also really helpful to understand let's say if you were going through that example of why are you writing this essay, if you took that last part out of trying to be a good person, what is a good person? Essentially removing God from the equation. You know, like this is like the analogy. There's no guarantee that you would even have the motivation to write the essay. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? This is what we're seeing in the culture. I mean, like we removed God from the situation and we're assuming that we're going to hold all these principles, hold all the things we cherish, as Douglas Murray was saying, um, but there's no guarantee that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Nietzsche has a few thoughts on this. You know, is that you can't keep the morality if the God who sanctions it is missing. Right. That, that doesn't make yep. it doesn't make any sense. Um, he, you know, that was his frustration with the the philosophers again of his time who were around him, where they were all saying, you know, it was uh, I think, uh, it, when was the Enlightenment exactly? It was a little bit before Nietzsche because Nietzsche died. In, in 1900, yeah. but he lived you know, in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. um, but th there was kind of this air, though, of inherent rights, natural rights. You know, the American project had kicked off. Mm -hmm. um, it was underway. And he was saying, but where are you getting these from? Right. You know, he, he's, you know he, all these people, yeah, you know, no, I'm, I'm an atheist now. I'm a Darwinist now. And he, he said, but you, you say humans have in, inherent rights. Mm -hmm. From who? Says who? Yeah, where are these coming from? Um, I have some some quotes from him that I think are very good. Um, uh, th this is from Nietzsche. Um, they are rid of Christ of the Christian God and now believe all the more firmly that they must cling to the Christian morality. What the English actually believe when they when they say they intuitively know what is good and evil, when they therefore suppose that they no longer require Christianity as the guarantee of morality. We are merely witnessing the effects of the dominion of the Christian value judgment, an expression of strength in the depth of this dominion, mm. such that the origin of Christian, uh, such a, that the origin of English morality has been forgotten, and the very conditional character of its right to existence is no longer felt. For the English morality is not yet a problem. So when he's talking about the English. He's talking about empiricists. Yeah, we're saying, mm -hmm. oh, we, we can figure out morality apart from God. And he's just saying, this is not self-evident. 
right? When you're saying, oh, we, well, we can, we all just kind of intuitively know mm-hmm. that things are wrong. You're saying you're still relying on God. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, it, we, everyone knows kind of intuitively it's good to be mm-hmm. a good person, you know, that makes mm-hmm. society run well. It's like, well, why is that a good? Right. Again, Nietzsche's thing. Yeah. Why value truth? Yeah. Why not untruth? Mm-hmm. Why value peace and not war? So his conclusion, though, is that, like, we need to now come up with our own moralities. When he declares that God is dead, it's like, right. well, now we need to have the ubermensch and determine yeah. what. And it's not even like we, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is that it's not even we, but like I. Mm. Like, you decide for yourself what is right and wrong. And when you are relying on these rights, you know, the, the vestiges of uh, Christianity, you are essentially giving up your uh, will to power. You're giving up your freedom. And that's like, this is what um, I, I think the existentialist, in, in the uh, tradition of um, Sartre and Nietzsche that are more atheistic, yeah. um, they're the, 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 the one thing that they put on a pedestal, like the, the one thing that uh, uh, is of highest value for them is freedom. It's, it's their own freedom. And so if you live by that philosophy, then you can call bad good and good bad. Mm-hmm. Right, you can, you you can say you know you can do whatever you want, um, and so th- this this is why I think Nietzsche is so harsh on, you know, the empiricists um, and and the English as he calls them, it's because it's like you're 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 not embodying, uh, you know, my philosophy yeah, <laughs> in a yeah. sense. Right. You know, right. you're you're still relying on um, another authority above you when you should just be saying uh, right. you know just. Create your own rules. Create, mm-hmm. Be free, as it were. <laughs> so, right. yeah. I mean, what, what I think Christians are trying to get at, again, when they ultimately root morality in God, is trying to get at the absolute nature of morality. Mm-hmm. That if it's not absolute, then that's not morally binding in all cases. Right. So that's the trouble with Nietzsche. Is Well, okay, so the Ubermensch is going to be the, the arbiter of morality. Mm-hmm. But what gives him absolute authority? Um, he has another quote here. This is, this is a very good one, and uh, Peterson, I think, has quoted it a few times, but uh, when one gives up the Christian faith, one pulls the right to Christian morality uh, out from un- one's feet. This morality is by no means self-evident. This is the point that has to be exhibited again and again, despite English flatheads. <laughs> Christ- Christianity is a system, a whole view of things, thought out together. By breaking one main concept out of it, faith in God, one breaks the whole. Nothing necessary remains in one's hands. Mm. Mm. So that's the yeah. the founding of the absolute morality. And this is where Nietzsche, I think, runs into trouble. Is right. How's Ubermensch going to tell me what to do? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, how, how and to, this is yeah, right, right, right. Is this essentially what Jung's, what Peterson means by Jung is responding to Nietzsche, being like, actually, you can't make up this stuff because there's these things subconsciously, like archetypes and 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 these patterns that precede your even your cognition of anything. Right. Well, and isn't that a bit of an oxy? It, his point is that um, your point that Nietzsche runs into a problem is that um, by espousing this um, ideal man, the Ubermensch, and for people to live up to that ideal, he it's an oxymoron because he's telling people what to do, right? right. <laughs> right. And so, it's all power all the way down, right? And so, like when a person's like. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to live like that. It's like, well, no, no, no. It's not because I told you. <laughs> you know, you should have figured this out yourself. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, now you're listening to me, which is a power above you. Yeah. And so right. he does get a little. Although I think he does say that the Uber, the Uber mentions not everyone, though. 
obviously. Yeah. Right. So the, a vast majority of people will yeah. have to be herd animals. Yes. Mm -hmm. They, they don't. Right. They can't think for themselves. They can't yeah, create right. their own morality. But there will be one who rises up. This is a sort of crime and punishment. I was just. You know? I have that written yeah, yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. He tries to yeah. make. He tries to become that. Yeah. He says, "Actually, I can be be beyond good and evil." Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> suffers yeah. a mental breakdown. Yeah. 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 yeah that's really interesting. Um, I just like. I love how the response to a lot of these answers uh, to these questions and propositions are like. Dostoevsky, <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's like a novel. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but back to Peterson's kind of uh, why do anything experiment. Um, I was thinking about how complicated that would be if you had to do that with everything. Mm. You know, like, yeah. if, like that's a really cool thought experiment of why you're writing an essay, but you can't do that with everything. Like you would, you would just kind of like be frozen in existence unless you had like a moral principle yeah exactly like a guiding ethic exactly uh, something like a religion yeah that then sheds light on everything you do yes but then it's like okay well that's there but is it just going to be there kind of abstractly and then just i never really think about it and i do these things intuitively and i think that's where something like contemplation prayer sacrifice mm -hmm. the mass the idea of remembering yeah that's where all this comes into play where it's like you you do contemplate on aspects of your life and you do the you do those thought experiments that lead you all the way back to the the first cause yeah. and that gives you a deeper insight into your life it gives you more meaning and that's what this whole program is yes exactly no that's exact. that's really well put because ultimately you like you said you can't um you can't carry out every action of your life with that thought experiment yeah um it's, it's impossible. However, if you are properly oriented to the end times, right? And, you know, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. You know, we believe in life, in the life of the world to come. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, the Christian religion is one of hope. It's one of looking forward to the future, one of uh, the end. And that end is not um, bleak, but it's full of good, goodness. Mm -hmm. And so if you are properly oriented that way, then uh, again, like, you know, your philosophy matters, you know, it's going to inform your actions and everything you do is going to flow out of a life of hope. If you are, if you live a philosophy of despair, of one where nothing matters, then what, then why, again, like, why are you writing an essay? Yeah. You know, why are you feeding your children? Mm -hmm. You know, why are you going to work? All those things right. um, flow out of a particular philosophy and whether or not you see the the end of your life and the end of all things as good and full of um, meaning and joy or if it's going to be uh, one of despair and one of nothing matters um, yeah. you know let's you know I can yeah. quote um, uh, gladiator you know what's uh, what is that um, uh, what we do in life echoes in eternity yeah mm -hmm. and exactly. but that you know and like it's it's a bit of a cliche and we laugh because you know it's mm -hmm. from a movie but at the same time at the same time that that um that statement gave his troops motivation to win the war right yeah it's, an, yeah. Um, it's also so, on a presupposition that there is an eternity you know yeah. like that's not gonna want, run well with an, an atheist who's like yeah. there's no eternity right so. yeah yeah um and I, I was reminded of uh one of my um priest mentors um Monsignor Winslow he uh when he uh, told me about his vocation uh, story and how he came to um, glimpse at uh, his calling to be a priest, it was kind of this uh, this way in which Peterson was breaking down um, his student writing a paper. Uh, you know, he was going through college and he said, okay, after I finish college, then I'll get a 
you know, I'll get my degree and then work. And then he said, and then what? And then he's like, okay, well, then I'll get married. Uh, you know, I'll have a family. And then he said, then what? And, and that question of, and then what? Whatever path he chose in life ended up with this, uh, with, with this uh, answer, and then I'll die. <laughs> and then I'll yeah. die. Um, and that's what spurred him to um, uh, see his vocation um, to the priesthood. Saying like, he, he, for him, he thought that the priesthood would be the, the thing that brought most meaning to that question. And then we die. Um, and then we enter into eternity. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, the, it, um, I'm trying to formulate this thought. It's like two parts. Um, the idea that religion helps to set light in, uh, to like, to kind of dictate what your actions are or give meaning to your actions, right? You can follow the through line. Mm. Um, that seems like it, it could get like misinterpreted as, like this is for the ignorant who don't have the ability to think about this stuff. Like you can't, like you're not really smart. So we're just going to give you this like God in the sky to kind of give you kind of like a hook to like give you some meaning. Um, but it, it really isn't that. Like it's not a call to never think about these things. Like that's where contemplation and prayer and silence come in, where it's like you are kind of called to go through these individual things and really think deeply about these things and find that through line and have more meaning and more motivation, like Peterson said, to do the essay because you can follow the through line. Mm -hmm. Um, And so on the flip side of that is that if you take God out, then that means contemplation, silence, not not prayer because God's out of the picture, but something like silence and contemplation, reflection on your own life is going to be scary as hell Mm because there's nothing at the end of that. Mm -hmm. And so God forbid we have silence. Yeah. And that's why you see this rise in noise and, and entertainment and just constant distraction is because we're not going to, we can't have an opportunity for silence because that's usually where I find meaning and I find a through line into mm-hmm. my actions. Yes. But since I took out the end goal, I can't do that. Right. And, yeah. and I think when we inundate ourselves with um, noise, we tend to focus on the present moment and that like that present moment mentality where like the thing that matters most is what I'm doing now. And yeah. If what I'm doing now leads to my pleasure, then it's good. Mm-hmm. That that essentially is a reflection of a life of despair, um, yeah. because you're not yeah. doing something that will lead to your betterment in the future. So yeah, going to uh, back to that idea of like religion being an orienting principle, something that sheds light on everything. Um, I'm going to offer here Saint John of the Cross as anti Nietzsche. Nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Saint John of the Cross has this sketch. He has a few that he did, and one of them is the ascent to Mount Carmel, as he calls it. And it's the two, two different ways up the mountain. And at the top of the mountain, he has this phrase, here there is no longer any way, because for the just man, there is no law. He is a law unto himself. Mm. So you have Nietzsche on one hand, which says the Ubermensch is a law unto himself mm. by his own creation. And then you have St. John of the Cross that says the just man is a law unto himself. He has no law. Right. He, is, he is one. But the difference here is that the just man has submitted himself to a higher principle yep. and has integrated that principle. So the law still exists and rules still in dogma, mm-hmm. like all these different things, but they're not, they're not so much that it's like, oh, should I, should I steal in this moment? Like, like right. let me think about this. Right. You know, I don't know. Should what I steal? What does the church say? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like, is right. this right? Is this wrong? It's just, no, no, you start to live it so integrated, you know, it's like, you know what, this... 
I don't even need to think about yeah. stealing. Yeah, I don't even right. need to think about this, this sin, whatever. It's wrong, and I, I, I know it. Yeah. I know it intuitively. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a self-creation. It's a discipline. Yep, to a yeah. higher principle. That's the that's, life paradox of the well, self-sacrifice. And, that, and that's the um, that's the idea that like Christ came to set us free. Mm-hmm. Like uh, and and that's like that's what he means by freedom from the law. It's not that you're um, that the law has no bearing on your life. Is that you are so free that the law is integrated and like every everything you choose uh, is in accordance with the way reality right. has presented itself. Yep. It's the same thing with um, Virgil and Dante at the end of um, the Purgatory. Where Dante is disciplined, you know, all his passions are ordered correctly. Where Virgil is like, I can't help you anymore. You are so ordered that you can let pleasure be your guide. Yeah. As in, like, whatever brings you pleasure because mm-hmm. you're so ordered is for the good. Right. And that's the goal. And and ultimately, that freedom is. Uh, I like how you put it. Is that's the that's the anti Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. All right. It's because if for the atheist existentialist, freedom is the ultimate good. Well, then imagine freedom properly oriented. Yep. Freedom is still the ultimate good for the Christian, mm-hmm. but it's uh, like, as you said, it's, it's under a principle. Right. Um, so, yeah, if you like talking psychologically, um, let's say you have the passion to steal versus the passion to not steal, you can still argue that, you know, you're just kind of at the behest of your passions. And that, again, this was kind of like the Freudian project was like, you know, either for or against these passions are just kind of like subconscious repressions that you're acting on. Um, but, you know, again, it's like the passion to not steal seems to play out better mentally than the passion to steal. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like if these, there's these like uh, amalgam of desires and um, like impulses, then you could argue like, well, the religious impulse is just one of many impulses. It's like, yeah, but this one doesn't cause neurosis. <laughs> you know? Right, right, so, right. So this is, in fact, this is like even psychologically proven to be a good. Mm-hmm. Right. This is not some, right. like, it is a metaphysical claim, but it's also psychologically proven that a moral adherence to something like don't steal is better than stealing. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, uh, Carl Jung calls it a religious instinct. Yeah. And But not to downplay this, like, well, on a Freudian interpretation, is like, well, it's one of many instincts and impulses. Mm-hmm. But for Jung, it's an instinct in the same way as, you know, as he says, uh, birds build certain nests and migrate. It's yep. like, if you do not allow them to do those things, bad things happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's the yeah. same thing. It's like, this is an instinct that cannot be just bred out right. very easily. Yep. I think Jonathan Haidt even had a quote about that, like uh, getting people to give up, you know, religious belief would be like getting people to live on the moon. It's like, yeah, y- you could do it, <laughs> you know, but it would. Hella hard. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be really hard. It's going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, same thing. It's like, this is an instinct that is so ingrained. Yeah. That it's it's not easily given up. Right. Um, going back to the, the law and freedom thing, uh, I think St. Paul says the same thing about kind of uh, the law pre-Christ was because we were sort of like children that needed discipline. Mm-hmm. But now that, you know, freedom has come. You you now can li- you can now live a fullness of life, um, with with more of like an integrated law, not sort of disciplinarian right. law. Yeah, wow. I'm sure Matt, you know this with kids. It's like the whole point about discipline is so that they can be free. Yeah, right. That's the point. Mm-hmm. It's not again. I think this is where kind of um, religious uh, cliches come in of like, oh, it's rules, it's rules, it's mm-hmm. rules. I think Jonathan he or I'm sorry, um, Jonathan Peugeot brought this up of like yep. you know it's ethics and rules. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, it's actually meant to be integrated, and then you're free. Yep. 
and, and it's it's not just guardrails. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you see uh, like what Jung was talking about about the re- the religious instinct, um, if you take that one step further and saying if this instinct exists, it there might be something like an imago dei, right? Like an image of God within you, um, and there and then from there now you have human rights dignity of the individual yep. like that's where all this springs for so mm. if you take it out it's gone yeah exactly. right and then that even bleeds into things like um like why would i raise my kids to be autonomous autonomous individuals unless if i thought that that was worth having another person being an other right yeah. you know like why why don't i just set the rules for my own sake right and it's because i see the image of god in them and like that's all a religious instinct right you know? right and this um you know this is the whole like project of figuring out your life, according to uh, Saint um, Saint Ignatius of Loyola, is you were created for a purpose. You were created for an end. You were created in image and likeness of God. You will return to Him. You know, exitus reditus. <laughs> no, you come from Him. You will return to Him. So, how do I best do that? But again, this implies that I have a Creator. This implies I have a I have a human nature. This impl- implies I'm made in the image and likeness of God, which means I have rights. Yep. and duties and dignity. But if you're not coming from anything and not returning to anything, it's it's hard to make mm-hmm. an argument that you should do things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Or you have duties. Mm-hmm. Yep. What do you guys think? You want to call it there? There's so much more to get to. There's yeah, like I, was enough. Gonna, <laughs> I, think, I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, we have, um, I have notes from the rest of this podcast and then this was about halfway through. We'll, we'll get through the other half. Um, but for now, we'll stop for here. Uh, basicallyrelated.com forward slash support to support us. Um, basicallyrelated.com forward slash AMA to ask a question. Um, only supporters get the monthly Q&A episode. I'm at Hylam on all social media, and Lee is Coach Lieb. See you guys later. Thank you.